So when Chris is gone, we like to shake things up. Um, and even, even that, I, I want to invite us even to entering into how we might engage with this text a little bit differently. For me, it, it <clears throat> you know, as a, as a pastor and teacher, like sometimes it's just like you wrestle sometimes with the fact that like you're different than the other people, right? Here's the thing. I'm the guy that shakes things up. I like to bring up a drum on stage and be like, hey, it's here, come on, try it, you know? And I, I think that there's something too about the uniqueness of just coming to the text in a different way. And when I was working through this, this past uh, couple of months, well, past month or so as I was working through it, I, I just, I came to the text differently. And we even wanted you in that reflection to come a little bit differently because even as the ways in which we, we go through this reflection, I think sometimes we want to ask things of the text, but not necessarily ask things of our heart. So one wonder is, do we approach scripture in a way, not just asking, what is Jesus going to the mountaintop? Like, what is he praying about? But rather asking the question, what am I praying about on the mountaintop? If I see my rabbi doing that, what am, what am I praying about on my own mountaintop? Where is my mountaintop? Or why am I not asking to get out of the boat? Or even the question of where are you in the storm? See, the message this morning is wrapped around this one point. Who do you see on the sea? Who do you see on the sea? When you are out on the sea, who do you see? And I have to, I'm just gonna tell you up front, it's a little bit of a heavy text. I mean, it's a, it's a storm, right? So like, this is, this is a little bit of a heavy text. Um, and so I'm gonna do my best to lighten it a couple moments, but like, it's a heavy text. Because I think you're right, Justin, like, we open up this thing, and, and the, the, the big thing I want us to do and divide us into, and even why we did the reflection we did the way that we did, is we want to invite us into, into the story. Almost imagine it. And I love where you were picking up, Justin, is like, yes, we have Jesus here in these three stories that have happened uh, that over the past you know, couple of weeks. Is we had... Jesus learning about the death of his cousin and then he's going out to get some time away and then all of a sudden it's like, I need to feed some, the, these 5,000 people. And then we have another word, immediately he went to go um, up to pray and he dismisses his disciples and, and, and this is where he's gonna go. And I think that we are called to question like what, what's happening here? And so my first point that I want to walk through with you, you all, is, is, is confidence is found on the mountaintop. That there is confidence on the mountaintop. Why is Jesus getting away? Well, we can certainly say because that's what Jesus does. Because frequently throughout the Gospels, we hear this story of Jesus getting away and, and retreating. Um, you know, and all the introverts in the room, see, God's like that. 
but he, he gets away and, and, and this is his natural pattern, which is even kind of part of the thing where like he dismisses the disciples and guess what? No one argues, right? No one argues at all. And, and when it says that he's going across the sea or he, he's not actually going across the sea, the sea is a circle. He's not going from one side to the other side, but he's actually going kind of north. So they aren't going all that far, but like, I mean, you would think that the disciples would be like, yo man, sure you don't wanna ride? We wait for you. There's no arguing. It's just this simple obedience that's happening here. But I think some of this is that they know that this is a pattern of Jesus to get away, to retreat into the wilderness, to retreat to the mountaintop. But we also have to sit here and ask the question, like, what is, why is Jesus doing it at this time? And why is Matthew wanting to call it out that this is where he's going? And I think that it is because this is Jesus in his full humanity. One, he's got to be tired. He just feed, fed 5,000 people. You know what I mean? I don't know what it's like to turn loaves into fishes, but I imagine it's a little exhausting. And you might be like, well, he's God. Well, of course he's God. But like, he just was with all of these people, right? Doing incredible things, performing this incredible miracle. But he's also in grief. One of the things that I think is really important for us to always engage in the text is to be like, Jesus was like us. He was human. He lived among us. He is not a God that is far away, that doesn't understand our experience. He is a God who feels our grief. He feels what it's like to live lives. And so in that, I think part of the story is that Jesus, knowing that he is on mission, knowing he, he has somewhere to be, he sends out the disciples, says, hey, I'm gonna meet you there, it's fine. But he knows what is important, is that he needs a moment to be reminded of his purpose, of how his, his intention of what it was in sitting with the Father in this weird way that yes, we can be like, well, is it, you know, God, fully man, all this, like what's happening? It's like, here's the thing, he's getting away to be with God. That is for sure. That is what we know that is true is happening. And for us as disciples, when we ask the question, who do we see in the storm? The first thing that we need to know is that we see Jesus going to the mountaintop. And it should cause us to ask this question, how often do we go to the mountaintop? How often do we integrate time for us to go away, to pause, like Aaron was talking about when it comes to Sabbath, how important it is to have these moments of intentional rest, to be reminded of our purpose, but also to be reminded that in our grief, in the storms, that we have an opportunity to retreat with God. You see, Jesus offers us at this top of this, this mountaintop, he, he offers us a moment to refuel, to recenter. And there's ways that we can do this. So really practically, like one of the things that I do um, is, is I have slow mornings. Um, one of my goals this year is make space, take space. Um, mainly because I can make space in my schedule, but I quickly fill it. So I have to tell myself to take it. 
And what does it look like to choose in slow mornings, not just to just enjoy that wonderful cup of coffee, but to enjoy it thinking about God's blessing, his provision. You know, Sabbath teaches us certainly as, as that, as we are supposed to have a moment of, 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 of retreating from the world and trusting in what God is, is doing in our lives. But there's other opportunities like using Dwell, the Bible app, um, to, to, as we drive, to choose occasionally throughout the week that maybe we wouldn't listen to that podcast, we won't turn on that music, and we would focus on the Word of God as we drive. But I'm also a music person, and I love music, but sometimes music is all it is is just noise for my heart to kind of just like, or my brain to just start working again. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can just turn on music and all of a sudden my brain just starts working through the problems. But what does it look like to turn on worship music and either pull up the lyrics when you're sitting at your desk and just taking a moment to go through the song and really understand the words or as you are driving, really paying attention to the road, certainly, but also to those words as they're coming through the speakers and asking God, what do you want me to know about these things? But most importantly, we see here is something that is so hard for all of us, which is solitude and silence. One of the things as a business owner, I have to remind myself is that uh, one of the prayers that I like to pray is, is God, thank you for the food and the work that you brought to bring it to the table. Because as an owner, sometimes it is hard to just choose to turn it off. But the thing is, is it's not mine to even have. It's just mine to steward, right? And so for me, I think one of the biggest disciplines that I'm trying to integrate is once a month, I've chosen to take the third Thursday off and to go and, and to not fill that space, but to take it in a way that like is a genuine act of worship of saying, whatever it is that's gonna happen today, awesome. Not fill it with work, but to fill it with the intention of being open to where God's gonna lead me for that day. And I certainly hope he leads me to fly fish here in February and March. But I think we have to look and see Jesus in these moments and ask the question, where, what is he doing? Well, he's, he's getting away to grieve, to be with his father. And it's a pattern, and it should be a pattern if we are followers of Jesus, that we do as our rabbi does. Continuing in the story, it says, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountaintop by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was, uh, by this time, long away from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Now, first and foremost, like when they mean like far away, like Jesus can't see the boat. It's not like Jesus is on the mountaintop and he's like sitting there and, you know, it's like I, I go to... Uh, uh, the, the force awakens and I think that, or I think force awakens and like, you know, Luke comes out, it's like this beautiful like thing and he can see from my, no, he's not, he can't see this boat. It is nowhere to be found. But these disciples are in this boat and they're just, I mean, they're This should not take that long to get to where they're going. Part of the reason why they're choosing to do this is that it's faster by boat than to walk. But they have been out there all night. 
Which again, when we come to the text, where is Jesus? He's back on the mountaintop. But where are you? Do you feel like you are in the storm and Jesus is nowhere to be found? Do you feel like that you're facing hardship in your life? Are you facing the, the, the world? And the question is, is like, where is Jesus? Is he, still, is he still the authority? Like, here's the thing, back in Matthew 8, this, is, this has happened before on the sea where Jesus is just kind of like sleeping in the boat and the disciples all think they're gonna die and Jesus stills the waves with his voice. I guarantee you the disciples are sitting in that boat and be like, will he just show up? Like, uh, is it, like where, why did he do this? Why did he choose to leave me here? We can empathize with the disciples because sometimes storms feel like that. But the second point I want us to think about is Jesus isn't surprised by the storm. Because where was he? He wasn't in a cave. He wasn't in a different area of, of the, you know, he was on a mountaintop. You don't miss storms on a mountaintop, right? Now, storms come up suddenly on the Sea of Galilee, but you still see it if you're in the high places. Jesus knew the storm was coming and he knew the storm was heading into that direction. So again, all of a sudden we can empathize with that. If you knew the storm was coming, like why didn't you dismiss it? Why are you abandoning me in the storm? And, and you know, Jonathan Pasquale and I were hanging out yesterday and I was talking about it and he came up with, you know, he's the ultimate like dadisms. So he can always like come up with these really great little catchy things. But he's like, storms are the norm. Yeah, right? I'll preach. Storms are the norm. But here's the deal. God on this side of the cross does not promise me a life where storms are gone. He don't. In fact, at some level he promises them because the way of the disciple is oftentimes sacrifice. The way of the disciple is, is, is to be lowly and gentle and that doesn't really play in the world that we live in sometimes. He promises the disciples the persecution. He promises some of them that be, they would die because of his faith. All of these things, they, he's not selling it. But part of the point is, is to say, in spite of this broken world, you can find rest for your soul. And guess what? That's the most powerful way to live. It's not about living in a way that you're blessed and highly favored, which you are, but it's in the storm. What do you show what faith you really have? So for me, then it's like, well, then what do we do with the fact that we're in the midst of these storms? And I think these are questions that, that certainly are struggle, particularly those of us going through super, super hard things of like, like, God, where are you? Where are you? And one of the things that have been so helpful in my life, as you guys know, I'm a little charismatic with a seatbelt. Okay. Uh, when I lead worship and that sort of things, you never know where I'm going to go. So I'm going to talk about inner, inner, intercessory prayer, which some of you might be like, what is that? Well, it's this idea that you're praying with somebody and someone helps guide you through um, hearing God in, in that moment. And 
always take those things with a grain of salt. Sometimes it could be a really good word. Sometimes it could be just the, pe- the mushroom around the pizza you had last night, right? And like, you kind of have to weigh that. And that's, scripture gives us the ability to work through those things. But I've had some very powerful moments in intercessory prayer. Powerful moments where praying through and asking God to take me back to a memory of something extremely painful in my life and asking the question, where were you? Do you know where he is most of the time? Right there with me. There's this one story for me where um, I had a lot of issues just struggling with my own just validation of my identity and who I was. Um, I was an awkward kid and I, I tried to earn people's love, affection, in my job, in my career, and all these sorts of things. And I remember praying about this one particular story where I was doing that. Um, and he took me to this memory of, of me being in a baseball field and my coach telling me, uh, you wanna get on base? And I was like, yeah, because every kid wants to get on base, right? And, and he said, well, just step into the plate. And I didn't know what that meant, so I just took one more step closer to that plate and I got nailed by that ball. And I ran from home to first base, to the field behind first base, maybe right or left, I don't know, sports ball. And I kept running and I hopped the fence. I never played baseball again. And I struggled and continue to struggle sometimes with really aggressive men in my life that would rather, rather see me as a valuable player, challenge me to just love the game so I prayed and my friend was like, where do you see Jesus in this moment? And I started laughing because you know where he was? He was the pitcher. And I was like, you hit me with a daggum ball, man. Like, couldn't you done an outside pitch with that? That'd be great. And my friend I was praying with, he said, ask Jesus, what do you want to know? And you know what he told me? And I know for some of you, you're like, this is wackadoodle boat. And it's like, that's fine. This is what he said. And this is one of the most freeing words. I've never thrown you a ball that you couldn't hit. And it changed my whole outlook on what I could do in my career. Because I didn't need the coach. I've got the perfect pitcher. You see, the thing is, is that in the storm, Jesus isn't surprised by it because he's in it with us. It's part of the story here is that he is standing here in the midst of the storm. Yes, could he actually just dismiss it as he was walking up? Sure. But if you like can like walk on water and split waves and all that sort of thing, like, I mean, why? I'm just, I'm just walking. Even, even in this story that there's this, like Jesus is walking on the waves and there's this almost this story, this, this feeling of the story where he was just gonna like pass them by. Like, all right, guys, keep it up, keep going, you know? Almost feels like that. But no, Jesus stops. And the idea of buffeting in this, this the, the word itself, if you look in both the, the Greek New Testament and also the Septuagint, it is one that's associated with torture or even evil. Because one of the questions is like, well, Jesus, did you just like conjure this up for a big object lesson? And it's like, 
I don't know the answer to that, but what I know is that the authors are at least hinting at the idea that this storm has some level of like not intended to actually have happened. It's just a storm and it's buffeting and like it's raging and raging and yet Jesus can in the midst of all of that danger they're on the sea. They would call this the abyss. If you went over, you died. You didn't have like the little like, you know, life vest that like popped out and everything like that. Like you went down and you would not come back up. These people are fearing for their lives. And there's Jesus just walking. So if you are find yourself in a storm, one of the things I want to remind you is that Jesus isn't surprised by that storm. And that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to dismiss it. But the point is not about dismissing the storm. It's about seeing Jesus in the storm. And where do we focus? So, so in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. So they've been out all night trying to keep going, trying to stay above water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, which I always think is funny. But at the same time, like, you're in the middle of the lake, right? And it's like, this dude, of course, it's like, what is happening? They cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. Which gets me to the third point, which is take courage, don't make it. Jesus doesn't meet them and say, all right, guys, playbook, let's go, let's pull up your bootstraps, let's find that faith, let's make it happen. It's not what he says. He says, guess what I have? I have courage. Take it. In the midst of the storm, take it. I know you don't have it, actually, but I brought it with me. I want you to take the courage in the storm. I think so many times we feel like in the midst of the storms of the life that we have to like, it is all on us. And that is true for the world. That is truth for those of us who are not in Jesus. And guess what? All of that typically fails and it falls apart. When we rely on ourselves in the midst of the storm, we certainly can try to navigate those things but it isn't until we, we picture where Jesus is in the midst of that storm and who he is and his offer, which is take courage or take heart. See, he has what we need in the midst of that storm. Is it easy? No. And any pastor, preacher who preaches in that sort of way that's like, you know, here's the thing, you just need to believe harder. I had a friend who, who his mom died of breast cancer and right after she had passed away, a woman looked at him and said, man, if we just had more faith. It's horrible. That's not, that's not the promise. And sometimes people take this passage in this way to say, if only we had more faith, we could have navigated the storm better. And I just don't think that that is what Jesus is trying to teach Peter in this moment. So continuing on, we get to Peter saying, he answered him, don't be afraid. And he said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out onto the water. 
And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So this is like the crux of the story, right? Like this is like that moment that we all kind of have this picture in our head. But I think we've all heard this preached in, I've heard it preached a lot in one particular way, which is if Peter had enough faith in Jesus, he would have stood on the waves. But here's the question. Who is helping Peter stand on those waves? Bible study answer. Yeah, Jesus, right? In Colossians, we find out that Jesus, we, we hear them talking about that Jesus is the one that holds all things together, right? Does, does Peter need more faith in Jesus for Jesus to be able to make that water hole underneath his feet? No. Jesus is standing on water. He's standing there and he is, he is I guarantee you, confident on top of these waves. It's not Peter's faith in Jesus that is, that's not the doubt here. It's Peter doubting himself. Doubting this new identity that's changing in him. This is what Jesus is trying to pull out of him. Because one of the questions that I first approached this text was like, did Jesus kind of like set him up to fail? Was he even intended to walk on the water anyways? The answer is absolutely. This was a moment that the rabbi in this moment is literally using the same words, come follow me or just come. Peter steps out on that water because at first he genuinely believes in that invitation that if his rabbi is doing it, I can do it too. And he gets out and guess what? It works first, right? And he's probably like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm not thinking, (laughs) all right. But then he looks around and he sees these waves. I think we can all relate to this. It's big talk sometimes to say, I put my faith in Jesus. And a lot of us like even get to this moment where it's like, ooh, yep, I'm solid. But then we open our eyes and what do we see? The, the truth that there's still a storm going on. And it's the wonder here, and I think this is where Jesus is, is not necessarily saying like, come on, Peter, you didn't have enough faith. That's not how he says it, even though I think it's sometimes how we receive it and hear it. But rather, I think he's like this. So my, my, one of my sons who looks like me and walks like me and has the emotions like me that, you know, that bless him. I'm glad that he has these things, but they're hard. We feel real hard. But when I ask the question, who am I in this story? I often feel like Jesus right now not because I'm self-righteous or anything like that, but because 
As a parent, sometimes you're standing on the water and you're looking at your sons and they encounter things that you're just like, buddy, I know it's scary. I know this is hard. But come on. I promise I've been there. I promise you can do it. It's not that you, it's, it's by you. It's as I'm hoping that it's my words and my affirmation and the ways in which I've raised you, the ways in which you're changing because you're modeling my life. And because of that, you can see that you can walk on the water too. So when I hear Jesus in this story, he's saying, you were almost there and it's okay. I know the storms are raging. A part of my work in you is to have that bold step. And like, why did you doubt? It's not like an admission. It's not like an admonishment here. It's just like, man, why did you doubt? There's more. But I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset with you. In fact, I'm gonna reach down. I'm gonna save you. And guess what he does? He doesn't save him and like magically transport him back in the boat. He embraces him and puts him on the firm water. And so this point is, is in Christ's call, we find our confidence. When, when Jesus says, come, our whole walk with him is about remembering, not necessarily that, that we just have to have more faith in order to live the lives that we're called to live, but rather that we would have the belief that when Paul says, there's been this great trade in Christ, I no longer live, but it is him who lives in me. And that's how I get to walk on water. Nothing that I can do except for to be reminded of the great exchange. So here's the thing. We go to storms and we immediately go to these moments of, sorry, there's something floating. We go to these moments of like, storms are like cancer, death of a loved one. Storms are like, you know, losing a job or whatever. But I think that storms are also these moments in which God is in the midst of the storm, whether it be uh, that, that one person who said something unkind to you. In this moment, Jesus is saying, hey, it's time to walk on water. It's time to walk on water. Are you willing to forgive? Because I know that you feel like you might can't, but I already did. So are you willing to walk on water with me? Or the grace that you need to give somebody? Or even those moments in which we are called to be generous and we just, in the waves of the world, we're like, how in the world are you going to do more with this? Or, or is this really effective? Or do you really need this? And he's saying, no, listen, it's not the point. Watch me make a work in you. You're just here to be faithful. 
And so I get to my final point, which is he, not me, is, is this, is, is, is that there's this interesting duality here where it's the question of like, what is our role in our own, like in sanctification, right? In truth, 100%. There's nothing that we can do to, you know, earn our salvation or our righteousness. And yet, part of life is a constant series of faith and integrity checks in our lives where God is not inviting us to show us how good we are, how faithful we can be or anything like that. But it's in the moments of the storm, we have the greatest opportunity to declare who is the king of everything. Because when Jesus brings Peter back in the boat, he just, done. Don't even speak a word to it. It just, it's done. And what's the posture of the disciples? Worship. And so I think some of this is, is, is asking the question in the storm, are you willing to accept the trade? One of the most powerful messages I've, I've seen someone speak on that verse that Chris was talking about last week about like this idea of we do and do not do and all that sort of thing and that all the Romans wrote was this really powerful moment of like, he had a casket brought on stage, super dark. And, but he said, how many times do we go back into the casket as believers and not recognize that that's not our home anymore? but rather God's done a work in us. And in the midst of the storm, we get to stand on the firm foundation of who Christ has made us now. That's the opportunity of kingdom life. So all that being said, I want you to take a minute and we're gonna bring the waves back up. This is our lives. So if someone, is, if someone has promised you that this is not your life, they are liars. There will be times, and actually probably more times in your life, where it is beautiful. Where it is walking with Jesus is like playing games and having fun and all these sorts of things. It's about community and all the things that make the church great. But here's the thing, the storms will approach. I even want you to take a minute here, of like reflecting, are you in a storm? Because my guess is most of us are. At some level, we are in the midst of a storm. And I invite you to imagine yourself. Where are you in that storm? Are you in the boat? Deathly afraid. Feeling like you have been trying to work all night just to stay above water. You feel abandoned feel hopeless? Jesus is on the sea. He did not leave you. He did not abandon you. He is in this storm with you.
Or are you in a moment where God is inviting you and he's saying, come, come on the water. You, you just not ready to do it yet because you don't know what's gonna happen. I wanna remind you that Jesus is there confident, not only there to save you and to pull you out of the deep, he actually believes it. You can walk on water too. You can do it. Just like a good father tells his sons, I believe in you. Let's go. Maybe you're in a moment where you trusted him and you are sinking. I invite you to call out. Save me. Not because you're doubting that he's not there. Of course he's there. He's always there. You just saw him just a second ago. But because you know that he is a good father that will do it. Or are you in this moment where you're standing in the frigid cold next to Jesus, knowing that he's the only one that makes us have the ability to walk on water? Thankful and worship. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the storms in our life sometimes. Because what I know is true. It is the places that we learn most about who you are. And most importantly, it's that you are present. You don't abandon us. You don't leave us. You are the God of the sea. You are the God that's in the storm. So God, we love you. We praise you. Amen. So uh, at, at Resonate, we take communion by intinction, which is by forming two lines as you come down the middle aisle. You can